What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Olm. Today, we have an incredible guest on. He has a story that's filled with trials, tribulation, pushing through adversity, someone whose story I knew about, but didn't know the whole story. And so I took it at face value. I'm so excited for you all to hear what really happened with all his whole career, how he ended up pushing through and playing pro ball. We got Malcolm Lee on the show today, runs Showtime Digital. He's got a bunch of different things going on. And first time we're really talking about it, he's going to be at this Make It Happen football camp in Kelowna in June. We're going to be collaborating with Showtime Digital. It's going to be a blast. Uh, but we talk about just a range of things, his story, and, and a lot of really great stuff to come out of this. One of my favorites by far just an incredible story that he has and, and my guy obviously fellow canadian athlete so man i'm super excited i hope you guys enjoy share this around with other people that you think need to hear this pushing through adversity and just a, a real life story man this is life pushing through trials all that so with that being said here we go here is malcolm lee but yeah man let's start let's start in high school stm nights Maybe even before that, man, like your love for the game and how you got introduced to football. And, you know, that's mm. such a huge vehicle for you in your life and for all of us, right, that that find a love through it. But talk to me a little bit about the grassroots yeah. of your love for the old brown ball. Yeah, shoot. Well, we'll start off with Coquitlam minor football. That's where I started. And uh, well, even before that, my dad. So my dad played CFL. My brother played in the CFL, had a shot in the NFL. And my uncle played in the CFL as well. So football was always there for me, um, something I was just been around. Um, but I think I was in elementary school or middle school. Um, close family friends got me in it, um, the Holland. So Robert Holland and, and his son, Jameer. Now, Jameer was like my best friend and he was playing football at the time. And I was always, you know, hanging out with him and he would go to these practices. And so I'm like, OK, so he kind of convinced me to get into it. We were already I think I might have even been training for football before I played football. I don't know the exact timeline, but yeah, Jameer Holland got me into it. He was real good. And then just kind of, he led me through it. He was always like the best guy on the team type thing. So we were the same age, but I always tell people like when I was younger, I, I looked up to Jameer in that football um, aspect. So, yeah. Right. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And then you go, obviously like, it seems like STM is such an incredible program, right? Like all, it's almost like, I see alumni from there. It feels like almost like a post-collegiate sort of deal, you know, like yeah. guys take so much pride in that. And so talk to me about like that, your high school experience and even like just the, the prowess that has came through that program. Um, and really, you know, you added to that lineage of guys that, that balled out and went to the next level from there. But like, talk to me a little bit about your experience there and then like what that meant to you to be an STM night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. STM is there's a bunch of legends out there. Um, Calvin McCarty, obviously, went to STM, did very well, played in the CFL for a long time. John Cornish, same type deal. He was a legend there, went to the CFL. And, you know, he's still in the in the football scene. He's still in the, the community out in Calgary. So going to STM, it's just one of those things, you know, going there, um, you know, there's there's a there's a sort of like there's a standard and, right. and it's just to pursue excellence and going in there. That was my mindset you walk down the hallways, you see the the jerseys, Calvin's jerseys up there. And my thing was like, you know, I want my jersey up there. So yeah, going there with a the mindset of, you know, 
trying to chase my dreams and and live up to the standard was just the whole thing. Right. Man, that's so cool. You know, I think it. you guys are all, all so blessed. Um, the people that you're around and myself included different area. But, you know, even when you're saying that, right, like the standard, that's what mm -hmm. I saw from afar with you guys. And so kind of off of that, right, like you worked pretty closely with Eddie Ferg and Air Raid and that yeah. squad of guys. Like talk to me about the standard of that group and how that just changed who you were as a player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for Air Raid and during that time period, I never would have had the Division One opportunities. Um, so, yeah, that standard really started from from being there and being in a competitive environment. Uh, myself, there was Noah Usherwood, Jalen Janna, who else is in my class? Um, Brayden Lenius, Malik Irons. Those are guys that were in my class that we trained together, you know, go to school and then go to Air Raid and train and compete. So that competitive environment just carried over and um, it kind of pushed us to, to, you know, excel. And obviously Eddie and Karen, the founders, they were uh, there, they're on you, like whether it's grades, probably more off the field stuff they're on you for than the training. The training was, was hella hard, but they <laughs> took care of us in terms of like tutors, um, even this like mental support, like they were there the whole time for us. Um, so that's why I think air raid is really like different than a lot of other programs, uh, maybe across the country is it wasn't just football. So Right. Man, that's so cool. No, I definitely, Eddie is, he, he does not mess around at all. Um, yeah. You know, and, and kind of off of that, like, do you feel like some of that is, is missing a little more in this day and age? Like, I just don't, maybe I'm so far out of it, but I feel like I don't really hear much about these groups of guys that have someone that are pushing them and then they push each other and just like these hungry groups mm -hmm. of guys working together. And maybe it's just me being the Okanagan and stuff, but like, do you see that maybe declining or is it still happening or like, how, how do we create more of that? Right. Cause that's really the question, right? That's where you see the most successful athletes come out of like an environment like that. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And man, I'm going to sound old, but it is, you know, dealing with these younger, younger dudes. I think the different, the difference is just the, the level of desperation. Um, again, not trying to sound like that old guy talking about back in my day, but <laughs> I just remember being in that group and it was like, we were all so hungry. Like we felt we were the underdogs, um, you know, like, you know, you know, as well, being in Vancouver, being in Kelowna, like not a lot of guys at that time, I'm older than you, we're going D1. Right. Um, so it was just like, we had something to prove and we'd go down to Seattle and we'd go beat up on those teams in seven on sevens. And that kind of just like fueled it. Like how come these guys are getting offers and we're up here where we're barely getting any like looks. So I think it was just a different level of desperation and also, social media wasn't where it was. So now all the kids here, they have social media and they can see, you know, see what's going on down in the States. And then they just mimic what they see on screen, but they don't know a lot of the times what goes into those guys being able to even act like that or perform like that. So I think there's a, a level of like unclarity and almost like delusion on what it takes to, to get to the top because right. of social media. So yeah man i totally agree it is crazy it makes me feel old but i think it makes all like everyone feel old because this is brand new to everybody this constant video content and i was just thinking about that the other day i'm like dude i used to look and all there was were like pictures of chase claypool or yeah. you know, like that's a canadian option but like you yeah. know like the nike opening right it was like the only thing you could get was like a, a seven on seven or one-on-one -on -one video on youtube and, mm. and now it's like you're you're right like and it's too bad. I think a lot of these people that are in those positions show only one part 
of the lifestyle and especially yeah. with all this NIL and stuff. So I just say that because I don't see a ton of it and it breaks my heart because I feel like that's where the best guys were produced. I mean, even look like way after you were gone, like Ethan, Yip, Jamal, yep. Mensa, like guys like yep. that, dude, like uh, you could see the hunger. And mm -hmm. I think that's like, somehow it has to get recreated up here. Right. And then, and hopefully these yeah. high school programs are doing what they can. Um, but anyways, though, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you going into your senior year, even just kind of like the recruiting process up to the point, like, um, mm -hmm. you know, getting that offer in Nevada <clears throat> about that, that time frame. Yeah. So shoot. Senior year going into it, I was doing a lot of like the whole camp circuit. I was down at UW a lot of the times. And that was like the school I wanted to go to was we were really close to just getting that offer. Um, and then it was actually remember Coach Nansen, Coach Nansen and Coach Sarp. They went to SC. So once they went to SC, I already knew it. <laughs> I'm not going to SC, even though that was my dream school. Uh, so that I was in a position where we didn't didn't wasn't getting that much love. Otherwise, I know Eddie was working really hard. We were talking to a lot of schools, um, but just getting that offer was different, um, a little bit more tough. We didn't have that much film against the good competition. So I think it was March or May. Um, I've been talking to a few D1 schools and then Nevada just said, hey, you know, we're having a, I think it's our spring game or whatever. And they, they invited me out. So I went there and I actually wasn't even offered. Um, they're like, you know, um, I was the only guy there that didn't have an offer from them. And it was just like, it was like me and my dad. And we were just in the, in the office with head coach, Brian Pullian. And we were almost just like politic and like how, like I could play here, you know, I got to be here. And I don't remember what exactly was said. Um, obviously just thank God. But by the end of that day, I left with, with an offer. Um, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. We almost had to, I always tell people we had to pull up and just really go get it. Like <laughs> we had to go get it. So that's what we did. That's a crazy story, man. That's definitely, I haven't heard something like that before. Um, yeah. That like good for you though. Like that's when you talk about going and, and getting it, like that's what it really yeah. takes. Um, So tell me about your preparation up to the point to going to, to Nevada and then your experience there. And I'm not even really too familiar with your story yeah. during kind of these years. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear. Yeah. I mean, preparation <clears throat> going into Nevada was, was huge. It was, we were locked in with air raid and it was just, going back to that mindset part, I knew I was going to be an underdog and I've always felt like an underdog, whether it was things that happened in high school and stuff like that. So every single day I knew I was behind the ball a little bit in terms of the hype and stuff like that. So it's just, we just work. We'd go to air raid before I went to school, go to school, and then I'd go to air raid after. And we'd be there lift run till nighttime. And it was just like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat till I got to Nevada um and my boy my best friend at the time no usher would like he was locked in with me he was going to prep school so we just pushed each other and kind of just like tunnel vision we didn't really care about anything else we knew what we wanted to do and it was just that right so tell me do you have like a a top air raid story workout there's got to be some or like any moment or something i got two two one we were a little bit younger um i think we were in just eighth grade we were playing flag football and we were playing uh, in the nationals isn't like in pi and eddie's super competitive and, and so are we we were being this team like 56 nothing and eddie was like if this team crosses half i'm leaving and we're like what what do you mean anyways 
we're kids. We're like, let's let this team cross half and then pull his flag and see what happens. So the kid catches the screen, he gets past half, and then we pull his flag. Eddie looks at us, throws his clipboard on the ground, leaves and gets in the car. We have to play the rest of the tournament without a coach. So. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows what type of time Eddie was on. He meant business. <laughs> yeah, and we were young too, like eighth grade. Like, you know, I mean, you're still fooling around, but we we're, were crushing the team and he still got mad. So, man, yeah. wow. Yeah, and I think my other story has to be um, with Karen. So Karen does a, a lot of the track stuff. We call her the bully because she would either – she her goal was to – on conditioning days, like she wants you to throw up. So there's been several times where she's just brought us on the hill and we've just been throwing up and she's just she's just sitting there laughing. So, yeah, that's, that's a regular at Air Raid for sure. Jeez. I yeah. have heard legends, man, like of like the throwing up and stuff, and I just was like – man you guys are on some different stuff over there yeah Dude, like because i had eddie for a coach uh for this like i did border bowls way back and he just was roasting me man like <laughs> if i dropped a pass it was just like you suck like oh um, yeah okay this is really like what it is you know like and yeah. that, that's what it is at the d1 level you know like you just you, you don't have room for error so that's super interesting stuff man so talk to me a little bit about going to nevada in that first year there um, and yeah. what the experience was like for you? It was honestly, looking back, it was a great experience. Uh, I have a really good core group of friends that I'm still like best friends with to this day. And, you know, it was a good coaching staff for me. When I look back and I sort of describe this experience, I just look at a kid who is super immature um, in terms of, you know, you're the best in Canada. You're the best here. You dominate, you know, you go to Seattle, you dominate. And you almost, it was almost as if I wasn't ready to like trust that whole process. So I ended up redshirting and then going into the camp, my second year, you know, I was working within the rotation. I was playing receiver at the time. I think like the depth chart came out and I was like, I was a backup. And obviously, you know, we were in an air raid system. Like you're still playing, <laughs> like you're still, and I'm just, a, I'm a redshirt freshman. And just being that immature kid, kind of hot headed, I was like, I'm off this. And then I like made the decision like super quick, like texted a few people and I bounced and came home and my family was just like, wait, what, what, what's going on? Like, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to be there. So it was definitely that immaturity and, and that just like sense of like, like they owe me something, um, which was horrible, but that's, that's ultimately the the true reason. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I mean, good for you though, for I mean, it's going to be incredible for people listening to be able to have that introspection and look back on that. Cause I don't know. I, I even, people would tell me that like that you went to Nevada and I was like, what is the story behind this? And it, that is crazy, right? Like yeah. that is like, that's what it is, especially with an air raid. Like you're going to be, man, you know, crazy story. I wasn't even starting going into this year. Nobody was uh, going to remember that though. Yeah. Like yeah, there, I know that. there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, but man, you know, I just like, you stick it out long enough and that's probably like it was a great lesson for you later in your career right absolutely so talk to me about that you come back to UBC and then what was that like like how did you handle like did you ever look back and be like man I wish I would have stayed in those years or kind of is it now just now that you're looking back and being like maybe you don't never wish that you stayed but you have this introspection like just talk to me about like where was your mind frame coming back to UBC and because you balled out at UBC right yeah I think Looking back now, I, I don't wish that I, I change anything. Um, I love the lessons that I learn. And, you know, I'm, I'm strong on my faith. I just believe that God has a plan for everything. And, 
you know, a lot of the times, even not knowing, um, I was just always putting my faith in God. But when I came back to UBC in 2015, looking back, I was like, I think it took like, took a few games. And I was like, I do not want to, I do not want to be here. I hated it. And I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't used to the waggle. There's a bunch of stuff. I wasn't used to the waggle. I, I came back and I was hurt and I didn't tell anyone. So I wasn't really performing very well. So there's a bunch of stuff. And I got into like this, like depressive, like state where I was like, damn, like I messed up. I remember thinking like I messed up my whole career. Like it was, it was bad. Yeah. But uh, just kept, I was one of those guys who didn't want to show it. Um, and I just like kept at it, kept at it. And 2015 ended up being like one of my best years of football in terms of, you know, we won the Vanier cup yeah. and learned a lot of lessons and played a lot of good football. So yeah, it was, you know, it was a good experience. So, and I didn't even touch on this either though. You, you leave Nevada, you come here, you play DB for a little bit or sorry, receiver for a little bit. And then you switch to DB. Like, how does that yeah. happen? Why does that happen? Yeah. So the, uh, I was playing receiver most of the year, well, all the year, the whole year. And then I think it was day one, our uh, starting corner, Nick Tremanson, who I'm still good friends with. He's actually the coach there. He uh, he hurt his ankle. Uh, oh, wow. Um, and my mindset, I've always had the same mindset. Like, I just felt like I was better than everybody else. So I just told the coach, like, I, I'll play the corner. And they're just like, what? And then they're like, no, nah, no, nah, like, we have a backup corner. And then in practice – um I was just like again hothead I'm like I'm better than that guy so I just went in one-on-ones and just went and played corner for that period and then they're like oh wait what um and then they I think they didn't let me do team or scale because I didn't know the coverages but then the next day they're like okay you got it like we'll let you try again and then I was just I remember in practice I don't think I was just letting anybody get reps like I was like this is my spot I'm gonna play here and I think I, I was the whole year I was a little bit upset too because I was hurt and just the whole situation. I was just like, so turned up. I just felt like I had something to prove. Um, and then, yeah, that was it. Ended up playing that game and um, coach Neil didn't let me go back. So <laughs> I stayed at DB. <laughs> Man, that's incredible, bro. I, this is a really cool story. Like I'm so glad that you're sharing this because for other people like me, like I just had no idea what was really good. And I did hear some things about like who you were as a player. And I, and I love that. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, you know, like I don't, I don't give an F type of mindset, you know, like, and that's, that's, I could tell that you went down and played D1 ball for a year because a lot of people that don't do that never have that. Right. Talk mm. to me a little bit about that. Cause you know, when we talk like you're, you're, you know, you're a nice guy, cool guy, you know, chill dude, but I know how it is when you get on yeah. the field. So talk to me a little bit about that mode, especially being able to go from receiver to playing DB. Like you got to have some, some, yeah. you know, I think it's just it just goes back to to preparation and um, just truly believing in who you are. I think I got to that level of confidence just because of the work that we did. Um, <clears throat> just knowing that, especially at that age, and then coming back home to Canada, I knew that people didn't put in that work to that level. So I kind of just carried on that, and then just being fueled by just feeling like I'm the underdog. Um, it was enough and I run my mouth already. So those three mixed was all I needed in terms of motivation to keep going. So, yeah. Right. Man. So 2015, you would have played with Taylor Loeffler then. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a stacked like group, bunch of uh, <clears throat> D1 transfers. So Loeffler came back from Boise state. Um, Terrell Davis came from Arizona state, I believe. Uh, Michael O'Connor obviously just come from Penn state. And then it was myself, I think. 
I think those were the only D1 transfers. I might be missing some other people, but the team was already good. Like the UBC team, like Tremanson, there was Boyd. There was a bunch of good football players on that team already. Um, obviously, Marcus Davis. So there was a lot of good guys. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, because Loeffler's from Kelowna. You probably did yeah. you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's like that's the he was a legend here man like that's who i was chasing so it's, it's cool right what a small world and actually a funny story you would never remember this but you were i knew who you were for a long time we were playing a game versus terry fox at like whatever that port coquitlam stadium is or whatever yeah and you were running on the track or something um and i seen you and we were playing and i was like damn like i can't remember what the time frame of uh what it was i was like man what is he what is he doing here training right now and I was like, but Dan, like, it's, it's crazy, right? Like you would have never remembered that, but to me that like that moment yeah, sticks crazy. out in my head. Right. And it just yeah. shows like the type of influence that, you know, we have players have when they get to a certain point, like so many kids look up to them. It's really cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So talk to me about, you know, we talked about university years now. Um, and I know there's so much more we could talk about with that, but like, talk to me about, you know, your preparation for the combine and the draft and all those things and kind of, you know, things that happened up to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so combine, combine, I went to FSP um, in Seattle and did my Oh, whole... sick. Yeah, so Tracy had invited me out to that draft class, and we had a lot of good dudes um, that are still playing. Miles Gaskin, he was with uh, Miami for a while. I can't remember where he is, but he's still playing. Um, we had, like, a first-round old lineman. I forgot his name. But we had a lot of good dudes. So, again, going back to that, competitive environment it was great um was able to compete there and just train there uh and it was funny enough I was planning to do my pro day back at Nevada so this is a crazy story they said okay you know what you can run your your pro day in front of these NFL scouts we're talking to some teams you're ready to go two days before I'm about to like get on this plane my agent texts me or not even my agent my friend who was there at the time same dude Corey Rush he was like hey did you get the message from uh coach and I was like no and he's like check your voicemails I think I still have it too but it was the Atlanta Falcons coach you know I don't want to call him out one of the NFL coaches had seen that I would didn't graduate there or didn't live in that radius so they are like you can't compete here and this is like two days before like they I wish I got told way before you know the pro day so it's two days before my pro day can't go so I'm like damn so that was kind of tough on me you know missing out on that opportunity but Thankfully, I was able to go to obviously the combine, CFL combine, and we were happy. That was a good experience. And then, boom, I get me and a teammate, we get in trouble. Um, so we had taken an illegal pre-workout. It was a proprietary blend, and it had a, a banned substance in it. And it's not funny, but I always joke about it now, you know, people are like, yeah, you took a PED. Um, I was 180, I benched 225 less than five times, <laughs> like, <laughs> It really, if I took a PED on purpose, I did a poor job of it. Um, so obviously that was it was unintentional. It sucked, um, but it's one of those things that's fully on me. Um, so that was another tough process having to hear that like three months later, probably like a month before the draft had to go through that. And I even appealed it because I was like, no way, like, bro, come on, like, no. So I tried to appeal it and that whole appeal process took over a year again. Like they, we'd have a hearing and then they'd be like, oh, we need to push it, push it back, push it back. And for me and my family, it was just, we knew there's no way you're going to beat that because like 
the rules are the rules. You can't have that in your system. It was just, we wanted more of like a peace of mind that, you know, this ingredient was in this supplement and it was unknowingly not that, you know, I was taking this thing the whole time and whatnot. So we're able to get that peace of mind, took over a year and then we hit COVID. So everybody was put on pause. So, yeah, man. Yeah. I can't wait for you to tell your story at the camp, man. Like this is a really, really (laughs) cool story. Like seriously, a lot of adversity, bro. So what do you, what's your thought process then through Mm -hmm. all this adversity, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and then that's where I go back to my faith that it's just like, you know, you go through these trials and tribulations and a lot of the strength I get is not from, you know, not anything I did. It's always for me, it's, you know, leaning on God and, and trying to figure out how to, how to solve this through God. Um, and it, that was just that it was leaning on God and continuing to keep going. I knew I couldn't sit down. I knew I couldn't, you know, just wallow away. So I actually went and did a played arena football during that year. I didn't wow. want to just, yeah. So I went to San Diego, <clears throat> did like a training camp made the team was starting and then that's when COVID ramped up again so then boom get sent home keep training with uh went to California trained there and then I went to the spring league and then played two games then COVID again sent us back home so it's been a it's been it's been a long ride damn yeah so eventually though through all that right yeah eventually you get to the CFL and yes. you're playing, right? So t- tell me, we need we need a little bit of highlights here. Right? Been, yeah, been dragging us through some dark times with you. <laughs> no, man, it's it's good. Those those dark times definitely just um, help mold you. And right, uh, a lot of the times you don't know who you are until you, you're faced with with whatever you want to call it with a with those tough times. So yeah, they're just little indicators on the to remind you: Are you really about who you say you are? So you know, those are always great to have in life. And then yeah, went to Calgary played that year and it was a great year and yeah I had a good time in Calgary ended up after that year I ended up then playing for Sask and then I broke my uh fractured my tibia so to that took like a whole I think the recovery was like nine months so I missed the end of that season and then all of this season didn't end up getting signed but still training and ready to get back at it absolutely that's awesome man Wow. So, man, it, it for me, it's like, okay, I see a lot of these articles. We hear these things about you. Yeah. And it is really cool to hear the, to the source of it, right? Because, like, I think everyone's going to have it, – it's just crazy. It's like never judge a book by its cover. And not yeah. that I did, right? But, like, it's so easy to see PED, you oh, and uh, – what's his name? What was the guy? Yeah, 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 your boy. Yeah. Like, when I was like, damn, friend. it was it was him too. I'm like, damn. Yeah, yeah. But it's so easy to judge a book by its cover. And I hope everyone listening to this is like, that's the easiest thing to do. And I think that's just such an average thing to do as a human being is to see these things. And you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, especially when this always happens with people that are in the spotlight or have a platform or doing things, uh, extraordinary, like extraordinary things, right? That are extra than the ordinary, right? Because that's why people care about them. So it's just fascinating. And I think it's good for people to have here, like to have a lesson like that, right? If anyone that knew you before, like now they hear the story and it's different, right? So it's like it's so it's such a dangerous thing sometimes to fall into that, right? Yeah, I know for sure. And I know for you, it's probably like, like how did you deal with that? Like, because you can't control people's opinions and you can't control who's making those articles, right? Like only you know 
what really happened? Like how, how did you control that in your mind frame too? Is it the same answer kind of your faith and stuff or? Yeah, I think right away when it happened, the only people I thought about were, was my family. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to make sure that they understand what just happened. And it was like, make sure they, they believe me too. Cause you got to convince your family, like come from a football family. Everybody was probably like, what? Like, what, why would you try and cheat type thing? Um, so it's just making sure I was good with them. Once, you know, we explained that, that was a long process. I was going to doctors, getting all my blood tests and my urine tested, doing all these type of tests. Like we had the supplement, we were bringing it. So <clears throat> once we did that and it was okay on my family side, um, and obviously my school, UBC, my coaches and, and the close people around me, I was good. I had that. I was good. There wasn't I didn't feel like I needed to prove it to um, anybody else or any other media. Obviously, the coaches that were talking to going to draft me, they all knew. So, yeah, now looking back at it, I didn't have that. OK, shit, I need to, you know, make sure everybody in the public hears my piece. But I think that's just because I've always been um, don't really try not to care about what anybody thinks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you you talked a little bit about it, right? Like when you're looking back on your college career now. Um, hmm. But, you know, from the beginning, and it's going to be vastly different. But maybe even halfway through your college career to now, like what what has changed with your thought process and what sticks out to you the most in how you would change your approach looking back now? And not not from a regretful standpoint, right? But like obviously all of us, we gained wisdom as we – go through life and there's we there's no denying you would have gone differently about things looking back now mm -hmm. right in certain situations like what how would you have changed your approach looking back I think it's a good that's a good question <clears throat> I think I would have just um had more of like a definitive like I knew I always wanted to go pro uh, I think you need to when you want that the decision needs to be super clear and it needs to translate over every aspect of your life so for example I knew I wanted to go pro so in my head I was like okay I need to get myself as an athlete ready to go pro so I was all in football but I think when you make a decision like that internally it needs to spill over to everything in my life so I want to go pro so people around me need to either want to go pro or need to want to be doing something big um and that that'll trickle over to everything to to where you hang out, who you hang out with, what you eat. And that constant reminder, um, it's all not even like a reminder. It's just like your vision is super clear when you make it a point that this is what you want to do. You lay it out, you see it, and you can translate it to every aspect of your life. I think if I would have done that more, um, it would have eliminated a lot of problems and, and things I went through for sure. <laughs> right, man. It's just like what we're talking about, though. And that's the thing that that stands out to me the most with everybody that I get on here that's successful is you said it in the beginning, right? It's like that peer group, mm -hmm. right? Like that is everything, man. Like <laughs> you are the average of the five people, people you hang around. And yeah, um, it's just crazy how the standard of your peer groups, a direct correlation to the standard you hold for yourself, right? It's just fascinating. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like thinking like, okay, you're better than these type of people or these people are bad or trying to blame anyone at all. It's more of just like, you want to be around, like you always say, you want to be around like-minded individ individuals. You want, mm -hmm. it's easier to excel if you're around the same people trying to excel at the same thing. Right. I think that's tough for, for kids in going into college or in high school, especially now there's just so many avenues, so many things, but 
But if you can just truly lock in on what you want to do and, and shut out every block out everything else, it'll make it easier on you. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point too, man. Really good point. I think that's one thing that I've struggled with in the past is kind of that judgment piece, right? Like saying what they're doing is wrong, which like there is no right or wrong. It's just what do I want? Yeah. and What aligns with that? Right. And there's nothing wrong with what they want. That's just what they want. Right. Fascinating yeah. things. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, let's talk a little bit of off the field stuff. Where did Showtime come from? And mm -hmm. what made you want to do that? Obviously you're super passionate about content and, and things along those lines, but, but what made you, you know, come upon this vision of this incredible thing that started to really kind of blow up and take shape, you know, these last, uh, last year, really. Right. Yeah. So it started off Showtime was like a, uh, <coughs> sorry, I got a cold. You're good. It was a Showtime was like a NFT company. So I was big into Web3 in the NFT space. I'll shout out, uh, shout out Nick Landel and Roberto Nixon. Um, so Nick Landel was like a good friend of mine in high school and he was doing well in the NFT space and he got me into it and we were trading NFTs, investing into NFTs and whatnot. And so got into that space and I kind of, I wanted to find a use case for sports because at the time there was no sports NFTs. There's nothing to do with NFTs. And a lot of it was scams. So I'm thinking, okay, how can I use this like technology, but make it useful to the community and make it useful to, to sports, to, to the players. So we just came up with a thing um, like physical trading cards, but they're digital trading cards. And I really wanted all the athletes to own own their like their likeness like this nil stuff so it was kind of before the it was in 2021 and the nil stuff started to kick off so i was like okay can we give players full ownership of their their image um and also use these nfts to connect fans and players together so long story short uh, a fan owns this digital trading card which had like the player's autograph voice note whatever they're able to talk to the to players um, get in a group chat with the players, communicate, ask them questions, take photos with them. So it was just like a ticket to get closer to, you know, like an accelerated fandom. Right. Um, so that was the whole use case behind it. And as well as give that player an opportunity to own their, their image, because, you know, these cards or these jerseys, a lot of times players don't, don't get anything from that. Um, and then the other half of it was half the money goes to the players, half the money goes to this fund that we created called the rising star fund. And the money just went back to kids who couldn't afford any type of like fees for sport. So that was like the base premise of it. Um, and yeah. That's super cool. I know. I remember. It's funny you're saying this. I, I remember it all. And it's tough for me to even think about that because it's changed so much and you guys have evolved so much and there's yeah. so much going on and just the consistency of it is so incredible. Uh, in your life, a little bit of a shift here, but I, you know, kind of along the same lines, like, what has been one of the most best or sorry, one of the best or most worthwhile investments, you know, it could be energy, time, money. But when you look back, like things that have really paid off to make you a better person, player, whatever. Is there mm. anything that stands out to you? Yeah, I think number one, obviously, revert back to my faith. I think just being able to put that effort back into into God and to getting into that whole whole idea of, you know, yeah, really trying to work towards God and understand that. But I mean, if you're not religious, I would say maybe my second thing would just be um, um, uh, maybe just really 
understanding who you are and what you want. I think that that would be the second biggest thing is who are you as a person and what do you want? Because once you figure out those two things, it eliminates a lot of distractions and it, it makes your day-to-day choices like pretty simple. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, super fascinating, man. So tell me though, you know, off that faith piece for people, even that aren't, you know, don't have a religion or whatever, everyone has faith. It's just, what do you put your faith in? Right. Yeah. Why is it so important to you and how does it serve as an anchor to you? You know, like just give, give everyone a sense of why it's important in your life. Like, what is it, what does it give to you? Yeah. I think it's just understanding that, um, you as a human, you as a person can only do so much um, by your own strength. I think being able to understand that whatever it is for you, whether it's a higher power or a a path that you need to go, it's almost like surrendering. I think being able to surrender yourself to an idea that it's you need almost help or there's more than just what you've got going on here. Um, I think it helps you bring peace of mind. And also for me, it motivates me to be able to fulfill whatever you want to call it, fulfill my destiny and fulfill my calling. Cause everybody has a calling. Everybody has what they're good at, but you don't really know what it is until you give it all you got and, and you're faced with adversity and you got to just keep fighting and, and keep pushing. Right. So this might be, you know, digging a little deep here, but hmm. off of that, you said that's important to know who you are and what you want. Who is Malcolm Lee and what does he want? Yeah. Oh man. That's the craziest. <laughs> who is Malcolm Lee? I think um, Malcolm Lee is just a, he's a hardworking dude who, you know, doesn't really care what doesn't. How can I phrase it so it doesn't sound crazy? Um, I think Malcolm Lee is just a person who understands what he wants to do, where he wants to go, and doesn't really care what anybody else has to think. Um, and I think that's if that answers your question, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And so off of that, though, you know, what do you want then? Mm-hmm. Um, First and foremost, I want to be like a good a good person to my family, um, a good man, uh, in my community, um, obviously a, a good child of God, for sure. I think what I want to do is I still want to play football. I still will play football. And I want to be able to influence the kids who are just like me, the kids where I'm from, any kid, if I can influence these kids with our platform, with what I'm doing, that's what I want to do. Um, so obviously play continue to play football and continue to inspire and um, give back to the community and, and give back to kids that want to do what I want to do and, and help them take it way more further than I did. Mm, I love that, man. That's awesome. What's your vision specifically for Showtime in the future? Do you have one? Because it's evolved so much. Yeah, I think... My vision for Showtime for sure is really being able to split up in a few ways. The first way is, you know, providing a platform where athletes like yourself and like what you do to get up on here and and voice their opinion and control their narrative without any type of ulterior motive, like through media, because media, it's a job, it's an industry, like those guys get paid to push certain narratives. I want Showtime to be the place where athletes can come on and just say whatever they want, say their piece, say their story. And it's just, it's not owned by me. It's not owned by one person. It's a community right. thing. Um, and then the second piece for Showtime is just being able to, similar to exactly what you do, is being that platform or being that that bridge for athletes and and young young athletes, young aspiring athletes. So let them communicate and learn and 
um, we, I call it the knowledge transfer. Let, you know, the knowledge we have, let's pass it down and let's let these kids, you know, become better than us. I think it was some cool Calvin said we were on a call and he's like, it's our duty, Calvin McCarty. He said, it's our duty to, you know, leave the game in a better place that we found it. And that, like, he said that two weeks ago, like I've been thinking about that the whole, the last two weeks, like it's true. Like we gotta, we gotta elevate, you know, the grassroots and it's, it's our duty. We've been blessed with this platform, this ability. Um, I think the blessing of being a pro athlete surpasses just playing football or just playing whatever sport. It's sort of how you impact the lives of others that want to do the same thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. Yeah, we're, we're definitely on the exact same page. It's really cool to hear that someone else is doing that work too, because it's so important, man. And it's even this, what you're saying, it's just bringing up so much within me because it, it is, it does hit just so much deeper and the fact that we all are mentors and our duty is to get these guys to be able to stand on our shoulders to reach heights that we never did. Right. Exactly what you're saying. And it just gives me chills to think about that. Like there's someone right now that's going to listen to this, that we don't even know who they are, but they're just in their unfinished basement, just grinding, thinking about, they want to play at Nevada, at Eastern Washington, at Notre Dame, whatever, because of the people that have come through. And it's just so incredible. I think it's so much more impactful though, man, is like, People don't use their platform. They get this platform, but look at all you're doing with it, right? And it's just crazy. So I commend you that for that. Like that's that's really cool, man, that you're for something bigger, bigger than yourself. And I'm honored to be able to have you on here today. And also just like it's cool that we both came from the same province. Like it makes me proud, you know, and like we gotta we gotta edge out the rest of Canada, man. We gotta make BC the spot. Ottawa's been kicking our butt by pumping out D1. <laughs> no, they, they are, man. Mike, Mike O'Connor is always talking about it's crazy. Always talks about Ottawa, but he talks about this small spot that he's from. I know the trainer, uh, he runs gridiron, but yeah. What's his name? Is it Coach, Coach Vic? Coach Vic. Coach Vic, shout out Coach Vic. He is uh what he's done and what he continues to do. It's like that culture that they have over there is crazy. And it's like, it's so cool to see that, you know, he's doing it, he continues to do it and he's just going to keep elevating and it's great for the country. And you definitely got to replicate that out West. For sure. For sure. So, you know, as you look back on your career, <coughs> another big question here, but you know, we're kind of, kind of coming to the end here. No, you're good. When you look back on your career up to this point, obviously there's still more to go. What would be, you know, some of your biggest lessons learned if you could bring it down into three lessons? Um, what do you think you'd break it down to, whether that's principles, you know, different mindsets, different things that you picked up? Um, I'm sure it would be a lot of the same things you've already mentioned, but what stand out to you is kind of a, like the pillars of what has stuck with you through this journey up to this point? Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it's going to go back to just having that clear vision. I think if you have a clear vision of what you want and you you map it out with detail and it's able to translate, you can see how that vision correlates with every aspect of your life. I think that that's really the biggest thing just because it's the vision piece isn't just football, it's everything else. And, you know, if you do this, like a lot of times I'll make a decision now, it's like, I consider like a few things, like, does this help me get to what I want to do to my end goal, whatever that is? And um, if you have that mindset at a younger age, it'll be tough and you're not, you're not going to just stand on it the whole time. Like you'll, you'll waver, but if you just have that and grow it and let it sort of just like manifest within you by the time you, if that's your mindset, when you're I don't know, 16, by the time you're 21, you know, you're, 
every decision you look at, does this help me get better? Boom, boom, boom. You can you can navigate through life a lot better and it'll lower your chances of making stupid mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, obviously I can comment <laughs> on this too, but, you know, we look we look forward a little bit here. What can people expect at the Make It Happen football camp this year? It's going to be the first time that, you know, people really know that we're kind of collaborating. But yeah, um, talked a little bit about it. But like, what are you excited about for this, yeah. this thing going down in June? Well, firstly, I'm so happy that you, you know, invited me to do such a great initiative. I think what it's going to be, we talk about all the time, it's going to be the best camp that this country has ever seen, hands down. I mean, just from what the people in the room are going to be great. That's we already know that without, you know, giving out who's going to be there and whatnot. But I think what's going to drive it um, far past anything else is our why and our vision. Like we talk about vision, our vision for this camp is, you know, we're not trying to throw a shoot. I'm throwing a combining competition camp. Our vision is, you know, let's get these guys competing, which it is at the camp that we're doing as well, too. But I think our why in that camp is more of giving back and letting these kids um like grow and being able to to really pass down as much knowledge as we can it's more without making my camp sound bad it's more just like the camp that we're doing in Kelowna is really really solely back for the youth like we're really trying to give them everything we got in that time period there's no other motives you know we're not combine testing we're not doing this we're trying to like be be good role models and and spend that time and I think what's going to happen is obviously so you're going to get good football coaching but I think during that time period because of the length of it we're going to be able to to help give more life um life knowledge and life experience and life advice for these kids so I think it's it's way 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 bigger than a football camp um they're going to get the best coaching they've ever had because of the people there but it surpasses just a football camp for sure Man, you're gonna be the new uh, vision spokesperson now. After that, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome, man. I uh, I'm I'm super excited for it too. I'm excited to do this. Like, only a matter of time before we connected because it was just the same energies. You know, we talk about getting people that are like minded. It's the exact same thing. Um, now, anyways, I know you you were just hyping up that, but yeah, let's talk let's talk a little bit because I'm gonna post this here uh, before your camp. Um, just tell people about it. Obviously, probably a lot of people listening to this won't be going to it, but maybe they will. Maybe they're already signed up. But but just talk to me a little bit about that camp, how that yeah. came about, and, and kind of what's what's going on because <laughs> it's still it's it's going to be incredible for for the community out there on the coast. Yeah, for sure. It's just for us. It's just creating that high um, competitive competitive environment. I want a place. I want to have a camp where there's pros that have done it and that have been like all the guys that are coaching grew up in Vancouver. And now they play pro, they have had CFL, they play in the CFL, they've had NFL experience. So we want to use it to be able to give back to these kids because this is where we're from. This is our this is our backyard. Um, and in order to improve Canada as a whole with football, you got to start in your backyard. So that's where that initiative started. And it's just being able to get a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of pros, a lot of good football players. And let's let's compete. Um, you know, obviously Showtime Digital is a media company. There will be media, a lot of media, but at the end of the day, it's it's about what you do on, on that field and how you perform it. It's going to be run a little bit different than some other camps in the sense where kind of that that mindset that we had growing up, like 
you got to come out here and compete. You're not going to be out here jogging. You're not going to be out here BSing because none of the coaches are going for none of that. Like, we're going to be on you. And not because we're just a bunch of angry old football players, but that's what, it, that's, that's what you need that to, to grow and develop. And that's what we want to provide because we just don't feel like um, the kids have that enough. And it, like I said, it's our duty. We've gotten to, to this level. So it's, we got to share the wealth. Absolutely. That's awesome. So the name of the podcast, Malcolm, is the Make It Happen podcast. Yeah. What does it mean to make it happen to you? Um, I think to make it happen is exactly what you're doing. It's, you know, using being in the circumstance that you're in and like you're saying, making it happen um, with what you have, with what your platform is. You know, you're you're a star receiver in Division One football and you're making it happen in terms of on the field. You're making it happen in the community. You're making it happen across the, the the whole digital space and you're maxing up the potential of where you are exactly in this life, um, in this time period of life. So I think making it happen is just being conscious and being aware of where you're at and just going hard, really. So, yeah, that's awesome, man. No, I appreciate the kind words. Obviously, you know how I think about you. I love the work you're doing, everything. Like I said, I've said a million times this already, but like so stoked that I got to connect with you and it's so cool how the world works. You know, it goes for me watching you do a track workout to be on a podcast with you, right? Some years down the line. So it's pretty cool um, how it works, but I appreciate you hopping on, man. It's going to impact lives. Um, And so I I appreciate you hopping on. It it was awesome, man. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it too, man.